welcome to another episode of the Comfort Monk Podcast. Today is the first time that we've been able to bring in our friend Nick Black as a guest host. And he spoke with Tobias Sinclair of the Portland-based band Soft Kill. How did it go, Nick? It went great. It was like talking to a friend. Um, Tobias is a great guy. I'm a huge fan of Soft Kill, as well as a few of his other projects as well. Um, like I said, it was just nice to talk to someone that like I listen to their music every day. Um, they're always dropping new stuff, and they run an amazing merch line. Um, they take a lot of influence of uh, several other bands that I like, especially those that come from the 80s uh bands like the chameleons and the sound uh he's just an all-around great guy to talk to and it, it it was super enjoyable well i'm excited to listen to it man when you uh first kind of turned me on to their music i went down the rabbit hole a good bit and really enjoyed it it's like seems to be pulling from a lot of different styles that all jump out at me you know like little bits of like that like second british invasion like more of the like goth uh stuff mm-hmm. you know um and then just like but with a completely modern take on it which is really awesome but yeah, yeah i'm excited to have tobias on the show and thanks for coming on to be a guest host man no problem i appreciate it You know, when I started playing this kind of music, um, I feel like it's important to mention that it was kind of accidental. Like I didn't uh, purposely try to do post-punk or whatever. Um, I was just trying to make like, I was trying to make like raw kind of rock and roll, whatever at that exact moment. Mm-hmm. and. Um, I guess just like my, I don't want to call it limitations, even though there definitely are limitations with my songwriting or uh, my playing rather. I just like my, I, I had been listening at the same time to so much, like everything from Christian death to, um, the sound and chameleons and stuff that it oh, kind of, that's exactly what I was going to mention. Yeah. Go on. Sorry. Right. So it, 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 it uh, just feels like maybe that kind of was definitive of like subconsciously it had creeped in and really defined uh my voice uh singing guitar playing etc uh it was it was just totally accidental but i think it's i say that because it's important that the the rock and roll core of it always stayed there and i think uh as the scene has kind of grown to this point where I feel like it's not really a niche anymore. Like there's bands that kind of embody this sound, uh, in all different levels of success and, and, uh, bands like us who like, I feel like kind of navigate outside of the, the genre. Um, and then other bands who are like firmly in it, mm-hmm. um, and bands who might even be like considered like more adjacent to hardcore, like a ceremony or something. Yeah, and um, I was just talking about ceremony as well, like seeing how their sound has changed so much. And when they put out L Shape, man, it was just like that, like pure form of like the genre. And it's like so cool to see because a lot of this stuff comes from like people that have been in hardcore for a while. I've noticed. Yeah, I'm I'm noticing that something's happening with people that have gone to those types of shows for a long time, where they ultimately. Um, for whatever reason, seem to really be connected to at least the basic, you know, Joy Division, New Order, Smiths realm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that started happening a long time ago. I, I can't say for sure. Um, I've I've been on the the peripheral edge of of hardcore a couple different times in my life, but I was like 
I would never say that like I that's the world that I came from, but I know that like Morrissey nights probably started to become a thing in that world in the late nineties. Um, I feel like it's pretty standard now. Um, I, I don't know what really is the connection to that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, but I'm sure that at some points bands just like, you don't want to just play through a ton of distortion anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I and always then, tell my friends like, with me, like, growing up, like, yeah, I grew up as a punk for a while. And then, like, I just, like, slowly, like, faded out. And I'm, like, I'm at this point in my life where I'm, like, okay, I know my roots. But, like, now I'm in this, like, kind of old and jaded feeling. But I'll listen to, like, things that are nice and smooth. But I'll always go back and, like, listen to, like, classics. Like, just, like, go back to, like, throw on some, like, circle jerks and, uh it's like Cro-Mags, stuff like that. And then just like, you're like, okay, that was my energy for today. Now I'm just going to put on something smooth for like the rest of the, like the bit. Well, there's, there's a reason to like, you know, to actually just, it's funny, this kind of circles back to the point I was making a minute ago was that like soft kill and, and my songwriting has always been centered in, in rock and roll. And then um, I feel like, that's helped us immensely because there is a lot of bands in the genre that are drum machine heavy or use a lot of synthesizers. Um, and, and at the core of what we're doing is still like punk rock. Yeah. Um, and I always sometimes like, you know, I, I spent a long time trying to navigate away from those standard classics and going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this band and that band, I'm, I need to find like the most obscure possible bullshit. Um, and then you come back and realize why those key records and bands are so important. Like they really, and t- they reinvent enough, but they, they still are like rooted in what was really brilliant about, I've been talking about Chuck Berry a lot recently. Mm-hmm. Um, just like his guitar playing style and how, I mean, look at like a Johnny Thunders, like it inspired him to the point where he didn't learn anything outside of that wheelhouse for the entirety of his career. Um, And he made it work. He wrote really brilliant songs. Um, I think that that's important. This like simplicity and focus on, on what was laid down so many years ago is like, it's something that I think about. Um, more than maybe some of our peers who are trying to trying to definitely channel something specifically eighties or, or, um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's really cool. Stuff like that. I I love to hear. Um, like for example, like uh, you, you just mentioned, like, for example, the chameleons and the sound, like Adrian Borland will always be like one of my like favorite front men ever. Um, and this is like everything that both those bands have like put out in their like previous years. Like you guys have like just a pure sound of it. Um, like it is, it's almost like an amalgamation of it. Um, say for like sad lovers and giants too. Like you guys like just have, I, I, if I were to like put on like one thing, it's going to like lead to another. Um, yeah. Those, those are the bands Initially, the bands that that inspired Soft Kill were like uh, the second and third Wire albums. Uh, all of the John McGow stuff that was like magazine. Those 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 uh, that period of Susie and the Banshees that he was in. Um, just his guitar playing style. It was like the first time he was like that was my approach. Like Adrian Borland and and John McGow were like how I started to approach guitar from like writing leads and writing riffs that weren't like power chord based, if that makes sense. Um, And a lot of it was like, again, I say subconscious a lot because I feel like there's been a lot of drug use in my life prior to getting clean. Um, Mm -hmm. I can't really pinpoint what I was thinking at the time, but I know that I was always trying to do something different than what ended up happening, (laughs) which is probably like just limited education and skill set. Um, 
but chameleons and the sound are like our pinnacle pieces of of soft kill sound that um just the simplicity and aggression that i think is all a, a part of the sound um the sound of the band um and like how it still to me retains like it still is punk um it still is aggressive it's still angry but it's it's melodic it's driving it's believable like i there's a sincerity that is like unquestionable about Adrian Borland's music. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then Chameleon's guitar interplay with the simplicity of the bass in the middle. Those things like just the first time I heard them and I heard an aggressive guitar and a dreamy guitar and how they, they wove in and out. Like that was it. You know what I mean? Um, that's how Conrad, the other guitar player in soft kill and I started playing together immediately like we complimented each other in that way um he was like the dreamy ethereal at times uh textured approach and mine was always far more aggressive and and straightforward yeah you know i i was at your halloween show in portland um back in 2019 and like that's my first time seeing you guys play. Uh, it was I was also going to see you guys at Cruel World, but of course, like COVID happened. Yeah. Um, and I was so excited for that too. But I've got you guys coming up in Asheville soon too, so that's going to be really nice. Now, one of the things that I noticed at the Portland show, um, I fell in love with this band that was playing over to PA um, at the time. It was Iron Curtain. Yeah. I've become like a huge fan of them as well. And I like see a lot of them within you guys do. Like I'll just put on the condos like at any point in the day. Like it's just so that, that band hit, I, I want to say around like 2008, 2009 people I were, I was hanging out with prior to soft kill or me starting to make music under the soft kill name. I was making music under a different name. Uh, that was like a band that, all my friends were like really excited about the discography of, uh, they were Santa Barbara based. It was one of the rare American post-punk bands along like soul merchants, uh, 11 pond for against that was substantial, like that, that yeah. just had everything. And the condos is great. I would say there's a live version of the condos that is like my favorite. It's a tour. It feels like a totally different song. Yeah, I've uh, heard it before. It's like really like drum bass and stuff too, right? It's yeah, and it's slow and it's very depressing and it it's it is not the energetic dance floor banger that the uh <laughs> the studio version is. Um yeah. Shadow, uh Anorexia. A, oh. Yeah, Anorexia. Like those songs, like that I listen to that stuff so much that it's definitely burned into my brain and how I write songs. And and what was funny was I put that on at the Halloween show and this local goth DJ who I think is kind of like new to this genre or whatever, not to, not to call them out, but came up to me and goes, what is this bullshit? You got to let me DJ next time. Like, <laughs> and I was just like, Oh my God, like way to show your hand. But, um, that's just a, an essential band. Yeah, they're so good. What year? Um, what year did that album come out? Online, it was like two thousand eight or something. But like that was the the reissues. Yeah, they came out really limited. It was kind of sad because all that stuff's from the eighties. Yeah. Um, and for them to have done the reissues in such a small quantity, of course, you can access the music digitally, so it is what it is. But I remember like the vinyl was like immediately sold out and almost impossible to find, which is, it's a funny thing when you're like, Oh, we got to make this available again. Yeah. Uh, there's 150 copies. Woo. Man, that's yeah. I, I've definitely done some looking for, I'm like, I wonder if I'll ever come across this. And even like, just for like the sound, I'll have a hard time like finding stuff. Like one of my best friends in New York had, um, uh, lion's mouth on vinyl and i was just like dude where did you find this like <laughs> of course i could probably find it on discogs or something but he came across it locally and i was like that's so cool like now I iron curtain 
as far as I know, the main person from that project, they attempted to do like some reunion stuff. I feel like it wasn't well received, like whoever was part of the band or the or the sound and renditions of the songs were not kind of true to what it used to be. So it didn't it didn't really have much of a it didn't really have much of a buzz or whatever. But I know that bands like the sound are interesting and I'm I'm kind of talking about out of my ass here because I can't really name what specific labels and contracts like Adrian signed. But you you notice this with chameleons too where those bands got recognized by legitimate labels when they were happening. Mm-hmm. And most of them, I believe, signed deals um, with not only with labels that like quickly they were not big enough to really prioritize um, staying in print on, but then also like these bands, like who knows when the, the four members that signed the, the record deal like fall out and then it's like, Adrian Borland or Mark Burgess or somebody are playing with other people. So like they can't really make an executive decision about uh, what's going to happen with the discography. So a lot of those bands like don't, they didn't, they don't have their discographies in print and available in a manner that is like left to their discretion. And I think that that's important for like young bands to pay attention to is, um, is if you're play, if you do this like just for the love and this is a passion thing and and you don't uh you don't really expect yourself being able to commit to like what's going to come um what's going to be required rather for you to be successful or like take it to another level like anybody can get a song that's that's popping or get a little record deal or whatever but if you're not willing to go out and tour um to license your songs to the right places to do this, to do that, then like there's kind of a shelf life for, for how things can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're not willing to do that, then it is what it is. But if you're in a position where you pay some attention and go, okay, well, we're talking about chameleons where you can go see Mark Burgess play um, the U S he's come over several times. Uh, we've been, blessed enough to like be a part of a couple of those tours but it, initially it was in small rooms and now i feel like some of those shows are in in bigger clubs um you see that there's this second life that a lot of these bands take on in terms of relevance and when like younger generations like you know i clearly was not alive or was not into music when chameleons was really doing it i was like 3 or 4 years old um but then it became really important to me way later and i and people of my generation were like yo and then there's younger kids who are going to go through that same shit and probably already are um Mm -hmm. you need to be as a band in the position to capitalize on that and not that doesn't just mean like coming over and doing those tours or taking those festival offers it means like being able to have your merch table uh you know stocked with uh, t-shirts and records and things that you still have access to and are in control of. Um, That's one thing that you guys, and I'll probably talk about a little bit later too. You guys like just kick ass at the merch game. Like (laughs) I've never seen a band put out so much stuff. Like I was like talking to a friend about, I was like, yo, you see the soft kill gumdrop. It's like, it's fucking wicked. Like the new stuff that you guys just released over the weekend. is like really, really nice. That was, uh, it's, you know, there's, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of minds that work here. Uh, the majority of the ideas and the insanity are coming from, from my partner, Nicole and myself. Um, and some of that stuff is like a dare, like, yo, could we do gum? Like, wouldn't it be funny? Um, some of it's just like a real genuine, like, like, just passionate, excited idea that you're like, God, we really need to do like this kind of this, blah, 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 blah. Um, But in reality, like, you know, somebody jokingly called us jock goth not too long ago, which I loved. I think they were trying to do it as a diss. Um, But we like, I don't, you know, I don't like put on a black trench coat and, and uh, file my, what teeth I have left into vampire fangs. Like we are, 
we're into like sneakers and streetwear. Yeah, and, I was just and, about uh, to say it's like very streetwear. Yeah, and that's yeah, the and cool I, part about. It. And and I, I, it, you know, just being part of that kind of supreme generation where, um, I've bought so little of their stuff, but I've definitely paid a lot of mind to the absurdity of their mm-hmm. brand, and I, I'm inspired by that. I think it's cool to give music fans a unique like experience even if it is like absurd and ridiculous at times um if you piss people off and they think it's stupid like most of those people due to their access to the internet want to talk about it instead of just like ignoring it and that's good promotion too so some of it's antagonistic on purpose like this is a dumb idea look who's gonna talk about it look what kind of traffic it goes to the store. And I think anytime we've done a merch item that people wanted to harp on uh, or, or or wolf on and talk shit on God, dude, we have big days those days, you know, like um, my favorite release that you guys have done was like the Britney Spears shirt. I have that one. And every time I wear it, someone's just like, yo, what is that? I'm like, it's the best. <laughs> That's yeah, that, it's we, the best. Like, there's no one has done anything like that before. I'm like, this is so cool. Like, I had to buy it immediately. Just the contrast to like that image and like, you know, we were right in getting into quarantine and we were like, oh, look at this. like everybody early on in quarantine. You know, first we all went from freaking out to like, this is uh, this is how I'm gonna invent like the new me since we're gonna be out of this in six or seven months. Like. You know, Britney Spears' response is like, I'm going to be a painter. Yeah. When I saw that image, I just thought it was so ridiculously funny. Uh, And we had just dropped this record of demos called uh, Premium Drifter. And there's a song Mm -hmm. called Build Your Prison Walls, which is totally not about this or about that. (laughs) But like the work that, you know, it fits so well. I was like, dude, just imagine if we did. And again, it's like it plays deeper into the contrast. Build Your Prison Walls is like one of my most desperate cries for help and addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but the absurdity of taking that title and putting it up to a picture of Britney Spears painting during quarantine is like, that's just kind of like a, a pretty vivid glimpse into um, how stupid our imagination is. <laughs> I love oh. it. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but merch is real. Like merch is an imperative part of a band paying their bills. Uh, mm-hmm. It saved us over quarantine. Um, it's yeah, uh, and I love how like Bandcamp is doing the Bandcamp Fridays currently. Was that always going on, or was that like part of like? Jordan no, that's and... a that's a new thing. I mean, I the Bandcamp Friday thing is. Uh, Yo, it's cool. We've taken advantage of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely a response to all of the attention that Spotify's getting for not being ethical towards its yeah. artists. Um, they're really different. They're totally different platforms. The The thing is, is that Bandcamp is for hosting music and the sale of music and the sale of merchandise of which they do take a pretty decent cut of. Mm-hmm. Um, they're making a lot of money doing it. Um, I, I'm seeing more people. And of course, no one can be happy with anything and I get it. But like, you're starting to see more people critique that and be like, like Bandcamp offering Bandcamp Friday. It's like, you know, they're handing this single piece of bread to all of us down here at, at the bottom of the well, <laughs> you know, like, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, which I think is funny, but uh, Spotify is not a music. It's not really like a music streaming platform as much as it's like, an, it's like it offers analytics that you don't really get other places. Um, it's kind of like a Facebook in a way. Like, yeah, a, it's, you know, it's a yeah, and it, but it also, like, it offers you stuff as an artist. Like, we get to see who's doing what and where in terms of our fan base and get to offer them art and uh, notifications of our releases in a manner that's, like, is, like, pretty organic and cool. Uh, I, I'm not mad at it. Like, like, oh, it'd be, like if they want to start giving us, like, a penny a stream or or whatever the plan is i haven't paid that much attention about it yo awesome that sounds great i would love to cash out right now but we still like 
it sucks that you make so little off streaming, but we also get like a pretty decent uh, couple streaming checks over like each quarter from like different sources, and That's good. it's like it's like a livable like it's an it's enough money that I go every time we get it I go oh shit. Uh, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like if yeah. it was like if it was like $130, I might be like, oh, okay, yeah, fuck these guys. But um Penny a Stream would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. be like, I like that they added the donations too. I saw um, nothing had theirs open recently. Yo, and people use stream. that. People do utilize that all the time. That's so good to hear. I love that. Yeah, you get random we get random donations, and I'm just like, huh? <laughs> Like I, I sometimes forget, um, especially over the last year and a half where like I've, I've felt less like an artist and more like uh, a warehouse for merchandise and for consumable goods mm-hmm. that, uh, that there's people that appreciate this for like the right reasons. Cause I'm not being overly critical of our fan base, but we just have been doing a lot of like, you know, mailing packages and reminding people that we're not Amazon and, and those types of interactions instead of like playing shows and then talking to people off stage and working the merch table. And I think that uh, when we get you, a tip, I'm just like, oh shit, yeah, people like appreciate this. Cool. You guys are like really good at like ship. Like when you ship something, it is like here, like instantly. Like it's so fast. And I remember like I ordered the like Valentine's Day shirt like two years ago and like came with candies and stuff too. And that was like really awesome. Also, I love that you guys work with Holy Mountain. Those are I have a couple of good friends up there. Um, that's just right up the street in Raleigh. Yeah, Danny, Danny's Danny's great. Danny was like a one of the first people to like when we started doing this band for real, which was probably like summer of 2016 is when I always say like that's when we became a real band. Um, <laughs> Danny was one of the first people to like to get behind it and push it. Um, I and I'm and I and I appreciate you saying that. Our standard for getting stuff out the door is same day or within seventy two hours. Yeah, it's definitely um, same day because I've like gotten stuff like way faster. Than I thought I was gonna. Be. I was like, oh shit, it's here. It's we we at this point are incredibly backed up and moving at a far slower pace. And also, right now, um, it's kind of been more. It's to to us. It feels like like the the new record is a prime example. Like we, I did not expect the response the new record got. I knew that it was the best thing that we had done in my opinion, but I didn't, I, I don't think that I fully grasped the, the edge that it was sitting on and how many people were waiting for it and et cetera, et cetera. Cause like we pressed what we thought was enough to last us for like a year. Yeah. Um, so under, and, and, and those went, in that first day. And I think that stuff like that made us go, okay, we don't really have like the best gauge of what the demand is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we started doing what a lot of people do, which is, is, uh, you know, t-shirt pre-orders where you're just like, you got, you know, 48 hours to order your size again, choose your size. But right now just COVID has made sourcing of specific t-shirts and specific sizes really hard and it slowed everything down. And, uh, just delays with record pressing plants and things of that nature. Like it's really, it's gotten us to a point where when we catch up on these final copies of dead kids and some other stuff, we purse like at least for vinyl and cassette projects and things of that nature, we will never do a pre-order again. Um, it'll just be like, it's in hand. Here it is. You buy it, you get it out. We, I, I personalize it too much. I carry like the weight of it. Like we just really want people to have it and like, and have it have it not mirror their experiences with uh just dealing with like faceless merch websites and stuff like we really mm-hmm. want it to be a personal uh experience that they appreciate it's been hard the past year and a half you know yeah and i love that that's that's so cool like uh, there's so many bands out there and like to name a few like just watching like how they've handled the pandemic um boy harsher I'm a huge, huge fan of them. And then, like, see, uh, I hate that I can't remember her name on the spot, but, like, how she found out about, like, 
illness that she had during everything, but still managed to keep going strong with like pushing merch and keep like just fans are so happy to see it. And like, we really appreciate everything that you guys are doing. It's part of our lives every single day. Like I, like I said, I just cut off. I wake up and I immediately cut on music. And yeah. um, so Boy is interesting because we, we pay we pay a lot of attention to specific bands. Boy Harsher and Nothing are bands mm-hmm. that we pay attention to. Um, they both have like unique, uh, a, a unique approaches to capitalizing on stuff, and the business sides of those things are are super important to us. Um, Boy Harsher was inspirational because. Um, without being like incredibly specific, like just some of the ways that they decided to steer their business uh, was relatable to us. And and that we actually reached out to them before we self-released dead kids asked asked a couple specific questions. Um, And, you know, it's, I will say this, you had to, you really had to fucking work your fucking ass off during this mm-hmm. to stay afloat. And I saw a lot of bands go away. I saw a lot of bands sit down on the bench and it's not a luxury that we have to do that. Um, this is the only source of income is soft kill and related. Like we have a store here and things of that nature, like those hustles, little side hustles, like, you know, I'll, I'll buy and sell music gear and stuff like that. Like this is all that we have, um, to keep us going. And I'm, and we're blessed to make the amount of money that we make. And, um, but to, the pressure to keep that up and to keep it consistent to where it's, you can rely on it in the same way that someone can rely on a salary or, or 40 hours a week at a job is like, you carry that weight, you know, you're like, Oh fuck. Like, how are we going to hit these numbers this month? What are our new ideas? How do we not phone the same shit in? Um, and I will say that like, you know, a lot of the relationships, the way the music industry is set up is that if other people aren't making money off of the stuff we're talking about, you don't get a lot of help. Um, you know, the whole construct of playlisting and, and uh, tours and things of that nature, like getting support for bigger tours, like that comes from, music industry relationships and things like that. So um, certain people that are really dialed into that and have a specific types of managers and labels and things like, I think a lot of them were left a little more desperate and uncertain of how to, to deal with this. And because we didn't have a lot of those relationships in place at that time, we were able to kind of just do whatever the fuck we wanted. Yeah, and that's why like I I like to pay attention to a lot of stuff that like Deos is doing. Like they've had they have Tempers, they have Choir Boy, and they also yeah. have um, Spice, who is a new favorite of mine. I love that album that they dropped last year. Um, yeah, but like they're probably one of my favorite labels to pay attention to. Outside, of, I'm a huge Chromatics fan. Italians do it better. Was always going to be one of my favorite labels. Um, no, they're all, I mean, De- Deus and uh, Italians do it bad. I mean, all these labels are, it's cool to just see the momentum and the vision and uh, the response and it not being these niche things. Like if you think about bands like Cold Cave, who some would, um, you know, you put it on that list of like the beginning of this now current new generation of darker yeah. stuff. Um you know, those early records, I think that he was putting out, there's like 300 copies. That was the, that was the, uh, expected amount to sell, mm-hmm. you know, and now you're getting to see like a lot of these Deus, uh, record pressings got, I mean, they're, they look to be around like 15 to 2,500 copies out the gate. Like there's an actual, there's actual legs to this kind of stuff. Like it grows, it reaches people outside of just like diehard post-punk goth kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, there's there's enough bands like a, a band like Spice who like you you don't it fits into different types of genres and stuff like that. So like that's well, exciting. The ceremony people. fans from them too, like you know what I mean. It's people are, like so excited for it. It's all it's all over the place. Um, but at the same time, like 
um, you know, being a band on a label like that and having those relationships, that's what I'm saying. Like some of those bands were limited in how they needed to stay afloat, you know, how Mm -hmm. they could, like they can't necessarily release new music as, um, like on the fly. Um, and, and I'm someday, I'm not saying that they're like locked into oppressive relationships, but, Mm -hmm. um, just in our personal experience, like not being tied down by that saved our butts. Yeah. And, that's cool. and it, and it presented ultimately way too much work that we, then we were capable of doing. Mm-hmm. So like, that was the big lesson I think over the course of this is we were like, Oh cool. I'm glad we're not on a label. Cause we can do this ourselves. And then it was like, boom, self fucking over 4,000 vinyls and fucking <laughs> 2000 CDs and all this fucking bullshit. And you're just like, Oh my God, I wish we had a label to take care of all of this. Yeah. You know, you like flip to it. You're like, oh my God. So um yeah, it's it's been it's been like a roller coaster of of learning how to navigate all this shit. And I think that like mm-hmm. you're stupid to not look around at what like some of the other successful um and inspiring bands like like the ones I mentioned are doing. Mm-hmm. Now, also, um, how we were talking about Dead Kids, um, I want, like, one of my favorite things about you guys is seeing how Portland has influenced the band. Like, it feels very to the area. Like, I went to Portland for that Halloween show, and that was, like, my first time ever going. I was, like, looking back, I was, like, this is is exactly, like, the feel of the city. Um, whenever I think of Portland, I'll think of like you guys and like dead moon. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like, how, how did, like, how did the city, uh, inspire like that album? Well, just all the albums in general, like there's just so much like culture and history out there. Like just. So on a musical level, there's, I can break this down in a couple of different ways on a musical level. Bands like Dead Moon, Wipers, Napalm mm-hmm. Beach, uh, Chris from Napalm Beach, actually, everybody, we just found out that he died today, so rest in peace. Oh, no. Uh, an overlooked and incredible integral piece of Northwest music history and of, like, punk and grunge and all that, too. Um, you know, Poison Idea, um, there's there's some really, like like, to me, like, top-tier bands here right Mm -hmm. um but also this was a place i'm not from here this is a place that when we would come through whether i was just like traveling or playing in other bands before this uh portland always felt like this kind of like you could kind of just like get by on anything and do whatever the fuck you wanted it was not like all the 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 stereotypes of Portlandia and of like fixing your bikes and all that shit. Like I've never paid attention to any of that shit. It it felt like such an, an little anomaly and like uh, an inside joke until it kind of that show inspired it to really take over. You know what I mean? Like those elements, but it wasn't like that. Like it was, it was cheap rent and fucking crazed packs of street kid drug addict gangs and um it reminds me a lot of like how Asheville used to be oh i'm sure they're i'm i've heard them i've heard them compared a million times mm-hmm. um it, it it i see i get and understand from my my limited time in Asheville how that would be relatable yeah um but did you could come here and do whatever the fuck you wanted and <laughs> i didn't come here to do good i would always end up here and just be like selling drugs, very strung out, uh, just, you know, in a, in a, in a, to just, you know, a habitual criminal mindset, like criminal lifestyle of it's just not really interacting with music types, but interacting with, you know, other addicts and, and dealers and fucking street kids and gang members and fucking psychopaths. And that, those interactions and those experiences, which as tragic and as painful as those periods are and that the loss of people that, that are part of those stories are, um, that was, that was what was inspirational and what inspired the album 
um, there's just this, there's just this like nostalgically blissful, morose vibe that this city possesses for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like this happiness. It's like this contentness, rather like being content in the sadness, um, and just how many like just how many like just kind of feeling like on the edge of reality and sanity and and what it was for me for so many years mm-hmm. um and then in getting and kind of moving past like getting sober and looking back at this whole world and feeling like looking back at how many people that I had buried or that Nicole had buried cuz Nicole grew up here and we collaborated on a good chunk of the lyrics for the album and, and talked about what the record was really about. Mm-hmm. Um, almost obsessively. It was like, it kind of just felt like doing the record. And I've said this before, it was just closure. It was just closure for that life that we lived and for that period of Portland. And then also a chance to like reflect on people that I reflect on every single day, but almost feel bad for not screaming their names louder than, than we did prior to doing the record, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I remember like my first bit of like getting a feel for that was the first time I saw like the tinfoil drip um, music video. Like I that video, like the ending to it is just really, really nice. And like, I have similar experiences where I've seen people like come and go to like, drugs and like it just it hit right where it needed to and just made me go like this is it, 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 i don't even know how to put it. It, it just like made me realize like how important life is and like holding those close to you yeah you um it's it's super hard to I can only speak from the perspective of somebody that was like an active participant mm-hmm. in the chaos. Sometimes it's hard to move past it. You feel like you are turning your back on a bunch of people and then you try to get around, you know, your new stable sober friends and you feel like you can't fully relate to them. Um, because you're wired so wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, but that takes a lot of work and took a lot of time just to process through it and ultimately be like, I can look at what's good about Portland and what's bad about Portland. And I don't have to love every second here. And I can be downright miserable at times and still, um, still feel in touch with what's so important and beautiful about my time here. Mm -hmm. Uh, understand why it's a good place for my kid to to grow up um but like you know ultimately it's just like the era that we live in and i i was an anomaly and i was like a black sheep when i first used heroin in my friend circle and i now there's nothing unique about my story and what i went through around the majority of people i meet now because it's so just the world has so been bulldozed over by uh, America's really irresponsible yeah. misuse of pharmaceuticals and um, the way that they've pumped that stuff out here and the war on drugs and who that, what groups that affected and what resources that should have been, should have been provided and were denied to people. And it's just this huge mess. Like this is what happens when you go off hysteria and ignore things that don't affect you. You know what I mean? Like this is where we're at. People live in tents and overdose on fentanyl constantly. Um, Your friends die. People that you don't expect to die end up getting hooked and dying. It's no longer the toothless junkie, you know, there it's, it's sometimes it's your mom, it's your sister, it's your cousin, it's your best friend's brother. So yeah, and that's why I'm like really happy to see, like, especially within my generation, a lot of attention towards like harm reduction. Um, you see a lot of it. I, I've seen a lot of it in Philly, which has been great. And then also like 
the, I'm not a hundred percent sure what it is that like recently passed in Oregon, but like, I know it's, and I hope so that it's like help bring a lot of people to like the care that they need. Yeah. People, so drug use, like, so I believe in this thing, I believe in the, the concept of the disease of addiction, right. And by concept, like, I don't consider it a concept. I'm like saying that scientifically, like, addiction is a disease. And the actual use of drugs is a, it's a part of the disease. It's an offshoot of it. You know, it's a characteristic. It's a trait of it. It's not definitive of the disease. I am years clean and I'm an addict. I am five steps ahead from the worst lose everything relapse um because you know for the eternity of my life like i i'm an addict i carry this thing that is like it's on my it's on my back so for me it's like the legal what happened here is that they decriminalized the possession of substances that used to be like mandatory arrests Mm -hmm. um i have not been a user during this time. I don't know if they take the drugs or let you keep the drugs, but I know that the police are like, they're not trying to shake people down and find stuff anymore because like, it's just point it's, there's no paperwork. It's not a crime. And if they do confiscate it, there you go. You got to go write some fucking bullshit fucking report. Uh, Police are being, even if it's 5% more than it was being held, accountable for misconduct and shit so like they're a little more wary and on edge um i have seen i i don't like support cops whatsoever i fucking can think the entire thing is a fucking joke but i've seen some cops interact with people that are like deeply far gone on meth um in a manner that was far more respectful and 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 rooted in compassion than like, you know, just holding them down and be like, why are you freaking out? You know, not realizing, well, they've been up for nine fucking days and you're fucking attacking them. Yeah. But, uh, it's, it's also, you know, it's depressing that that type of, of care and compassion, even if it's forced can be utilized here, but like in other parts of the country, like people are getting shot the fuck down. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I do feel like we live in a bit of a bubble with that, you know, um, but it's great. I don't think people should be in jail for drugs. I think that the war on drugs um, has targeted people of color. Um, Definitely. And, I, and I think that it's, it's absolutely criminal and despicable that people are becoming billionaires off of legalized marijuana and you still have people serving life sentences in other states for trying to feed their families. Um, I think that's fucked. And I actually saw uh, Jesse, the body Ventura who used to be <laughs> pro wrestler say that the people that passed those laws originally should be convicted and go to prison wow. <laughs> you know, and they should let everybody out. That's been affected by it. Like we're super passionate about that. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, people, people, People that are using drugs, um, I think that people that don't use drugs and that want to give them help have this concept that, like, if they reach their hand out and it slapped away that time, well, they tried. There it is. I'll tell you this. I had every bottom that I that you could possibly have. I hit the I hit the the core of the earth and then somehow fell further a week later. Um, it took me 15, 16 years to finally stop using drugs and i had i was just that was when i was ready and i'd had a son i'd had all these things that should have been catalysts for uh to initiate some sort of recovery or focus on recovery and it did not matter i had to hit a ceiling and go fuck and realize that i was unhappy and that i was ready to do something different i die i overdosed billions of times i fucking should be dead ten thousand times over but i wasn't and i'm and i'm grateful that i'm able to be here but it's just like case in point that like it's never too late and that people will people will embrace recovery when they embrace it and yo if you're the type of person that's like 
I'm not letting my crackhead cousin come inside the house because they're a fucking crackhead and I tried to help them and they burned me. That's fine. I'm not being overly critical of that, but I am critical of this, this notion that like these people are unhelpable and that like they made this decision and this is where they're buried in because like this, they've done this to themselves because it's just, mm-hmm. it's deeply irresponsible and it, it ignores a lot of sociopolitical issues that, um, you know, cover tons of different categories and ground that I could talk about for years and get really <laughs> angry about. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so happy for you. Like the things that you're doing, um, they make a lot of people like just happy and enjoy life. Like, and that's, that's just the power of music right there. And like, <sighs> yeah, we, a lot of fools hit us up too. that are like, deep in it mm-hmm. and they mention that uh you know our lyrics or whatever like that there's been um or even a lot of these interviews that that i've done especially over the, the past two years um have been a catalyst for some sort of like internal change of thought or or just pushing towards recovery like I, that is the most, like people can write us and be like, yo, love your record. This is great. I will forever be grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody contacting us and being like, yo, I fucking can't get clean. And then I like listen to this interview and it's put, I've got, you know, 90 days. I've uh, been going to meetings. Yo, shit fucks me up. You know, that's yeah. like the things that motivated me to get clean and to even get 90 days, like those things are so important to me. Um, and it takes just a lot of work, you know, it takes a lot of work. It's, it's, it's all related to, it's funny. The music industry is like music industry and being in a band and doing this full time. It's all like, it's kind of all in line with the like, similar struggles and hurdles and ups and downs. Like you literally, um, you have to put a lot of work in to, to get anywhere I, through recovery and through life. And also as a band, like it's not fucking fun all the time, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's fucking, it's constant. Gosh. Yeah. I, and I, I, I don't play music. I wish I could. I, I just work as a designer and I always say like, if I could just get into music, like, what would I do? Like my brain is just like, jumbled around like a billion times I was like am I gonna do shoegaze am I gonna do like, like post rock like well, there's so many things like just synth projects and like things I put off like music's always saving yo music is music was my way out mm-hmm. of an abusive household and like in a being abandoned by my dad who like I'm I'm luckily in a great place with now and present day. Um, you know, it was, it was like, it made me feel empowered and and made me feel like a human, Mm -hmm. um, in a time where I felt very dehumanized. Um, my like little small town community of punk rockers, like just being Mm -hmm. around them, being accepted by them. They were so scary to me. It was so funny how I was in a scary situation and I went to school and I gravitated towards like the most outcast kids. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's weird how that works. Like I could have just taken a far easier path and like played football and tried to fuck cheerleaders. And it was like, <laughs> no, I'm fucking over here with these other degenerate fucking idiots. And totally now at war with the football players and blah, 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 blah. Um, and, but that was just what felt, that was my family, you know, and that was, mm-hmm. those people inspired me and pushed me. Uh, one of my best friends growing up, Nick Kelly, he's a tattoo artist and back home where I grew up in New Hampshire. Nice. He was a couple years older and we would just go, we went to like my earliest punk shows together and we played music together and he just like validated me, you mm-hmm. know, in a way that like my family wasn't able to at that exact moment. Um, it's music is music is a fucking everything. There's sometimes where I just like can't find anything that I want to hear. And it infuriates me <laughs> that the okay. drug of music does not get me high in those times. But a lot of times it's like, 
I go down these rabbit holes and I'm just like, man, why didn't I listen to the Rolling Stones until I was like 30? Like, what was I fucking <laughs> doing? Like, why didn't I know what this was, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just still so much out there worth chasing. And that's, that is inspiring to know that there's like stones left unturned. Yeah. I've got like maybe like two more questions for you. I don't want to hold you up too long. Are oh, you good? Um, um, one of them was like, what have you been listening to lately? That's like, just made you go, this is fucking awesome. Like, uh, lately uh, there's been a few records, um, the the new floating points record with Pharaoh Sanders. And I think it's like the London Philharmonic orchestra, um, mm-hmm. like a very cool meditative record. I was really into like more like outsider f- fucked up jazz a long time ago nice you know it's like get really getting into speed and heroin at the same time and just yeah i wanted i wanted i was just really into sounds like i was really into like how the fuck did he make that sound you know and so i really fell in love with specific players like ferris sanders way back and it was cool to hear him it was just that this record that they just did it's phenomenal and you just get to hear, you get to really see how disciplined he is. Like his his playing, you know, of a saxophone, like some people's most hated instrument, I get it. There's just so much life and, and uh, emotion through it in his playing. And it was, I remember I just listened to it and I was just so at peace and so happy to hear somebody able to articulate things through their instrument still at this, this point in their life. It's really mm-hmm. cool. Um, he better be able to, he's been fucking what doing it now for like 900 years. Um, <laughs> there's this rapper from Louisville, Kentucky ESTG that like his new, the newest record he just did. Um, I love it. I'm, I'm stoked on it. There's another rapper from, from uh, Dallas, Texas named Mo three that just passed away. Um, I was like on a really long Kevin Gates tip for a minute and Mo3 is like the other most like musical sounding. Um, mm-hmm. and then there's another rapper from, from San Antonio named Southside Hoodlum that a homie of ours does like the majority of the production for. That's really um, cool. Just excited about like people taking stuff into different directions within like rap was always like one of the main genres that I really fucked with and that also like was inspiring on a business level. Cause like they, they so much of that was navigating outside of the music industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I have not been listening to a lot of rock music. I bet maybe alien boys, new single and the last and, record they put out. Yeah. Love them. And they're from Portland too, right? They're from Portland. Yeah, um, I love that band might have something cool to talk about soon related to them. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, I, the, all the, the current post-punk stuff that's happening, it's all interesting and I'm excited that it exists. I have not spent any time listening to any of it um, in, the, in the more recent months or whatever. It's just not where my mind is at. And because like I make up music from like a similar place sonically, uh, I try to avoid uh, some of that shit just cause like it creeps into your subconscious and is inspiring in a way that's like, I think what comes out kind of cookie cutter when I try to, when I'm trying to make post-punk, like I feel like I'm not, I don't make anything interesting. And when I try to just do what feels natural, it's, it comes out pretty cool. Yeah. And like one of the things that I was like really, maybe like a couple of years back, especially when they released this one album, um, a lot of like, eastern post-punk coming out currently like motorama human tetris um like those were like huge huge inspirations for me and like motorama dropped a new album this past year and like i've been in love with that a lot too who motorama oh yeah yeah um french police too out of i can't remember where they're at but french police has definitely been on my radar recently there's there's some cool set like all those bands are doing something kind of really cool and interesting um it's weird is like that what's ruined it for me my favorite band from europe if you can still consider england to be europe 
would be Chain of Flowers. Yeah. Um, I love their, their single they just dropped the other day. It was really nice. And there's still, it's just still like an angry punk band at, at, the, at heart. And then there's this band, um, years from, uh, they're, they're French kids, but they're, they're from Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're like into the realm of nothing and all that stuff, like they're, I think a phenomenal band, but a lot of the Eastern European post-punk proper, the vocals ruin it for me. Mainly because <laughs> like, I don't know what they're talking about. And if it's translated to American, it usually comes out so stupid sounding, you know, like just the yeah. translations are like either hyper literal or whatever, but yeah. I can't do like, I can't do that. Like I like, there's this thing when I was growing up, it was a language learning tool for kids called Muzzy. Mm-hmm. M-U-Z-Z-Y. And if you go on YouTube and you look up the old Muzzy commercials, there's this part in it where it's like the French or something. He goes, and it's this big green monster. And like, it's burned into my fucking brain. Like, I can't oh, like, I hear the shit. And I'm like, ah, Muzzy, Muzzy vocals. Like, there it is. <laughs> um, I just want like, you know, I want Adrian Borland's and fucking. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, Pink turns blue, like you know, is is like dark and goth, and and low life is like his vocal is like mm-hmm. dark and baritone and goth and theatrical in a manner that still like is emotive. And I yeah. feel like I don't hear any emotion in a lot of the current stuff. So, um, I want to see those bands live, though. I feel like it's like would be a mm-hmm. different experience for me. Yeah, and it's like for me, like my friends always joke, and to like reference High Fidelity, they just call me the old sad bastard of the group. Yeah, God, dude. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm just like a, I'm a black kid from Columbia, South Carolina that loves golf rock. Like, I grew up listening yeah, to the house. Man, odds stacked against you, right? Like, fucking, <laughs> just like definitely like in a box. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a few more people like me that I know. I was like, okay, cool. We have like our own like niche group. It's like we like grew up in like the age where like metalcore was like the thing. Yeah. You know, we just like stepped away to like other stuff, like just like went into hardcore. And then, like, over time, like my taste in music just like smoothed down. It's like, oh man, I never thought I would like listen to this thing. Like, yeah, it's like always like just like something fast paced. Like, I would like listen to like turnstile and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I, I often find that the heaviest, darkest, uh, most aggressive stuff to me is like it's, it's usually just in the vibe and in the vocal and not in like just like the most heavy metallic hardcore whatever bands like mm. are like gamer geek like kids that aren't even really mad about anything yeah. so um <laughs> i you know when i find a band that i feel like properly translates the 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 depths of sadness like i always do take notice i'm like oh and not because i'm like sad person mm-hmm. um i have just had a, and that's that's i think one thing to clarify is like my band is like not a group of of sad individuals that are excited to be sad um it's really just like from my personal experience like a big chunk of my life and due to how i chose to live it my you know those were my decisions um, was very dark and very sad. It was very sad the amount of time that I wasted. Um, so I always reflect on that and carry that and understand that to be what it is. But like, I like, I'm generally pretty fucking a pretty happy individual, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's, uh, I, I, I tend to like, I tend to listen to like, when I do listen to rock music, I tend to listen to like just a lot of, more straightforward punk rock mm-hmm. um, bands like Cox Bar and Angelic Upstarts and nice. Rose Tattoo and like going down the rabbit hole of just like rock and roll where you're like, that's a Les Paul plugged into a Marshall. Like mm-hmm. those for uh, maybe it's just like being 38. That's like, I'm at my like full, I have a four year old and I'm a dad phase. Yeah. I'm like listening to dad rock. <laughs> at least it's not Foo Fighters you know I'm not like man Dave Grohl really can relate to that dude he's just down to earth <laughs> so I have that 
Yeah. I've got one last question for you. And after that, I'm going to let you go. Because what time is it out there? Is it like four? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it's like 4.12. Okay. So, um, like I said, one of the things I was looking forward to last year was definitely Cruel World Fest. Yes. <sighs> so sad. I Don't was, be sad for long. That's I, and I was like, please, I hope that there... I have nothing else to say. I have nothing okay. else to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. But yeah, that lineup insane yeah sextile yeah black marble you guys christian death was gonna be there yeah i'm not a big morrissey person but even morrissey as the headliner it's pretty cool and then bauhaus too that was yeah i was excited to play with bauhaus just like you know the freaking the young freaking goth punk in me was like whoa what never thought that would happen but like psychedelic furs and like echo and the bunny man i was like Holy fucking shit, like two of our biggest influences are fucking playing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have been picked for that was like incredibly validating because there's definitely like a ton of bands that they could have, that I felt like they could have grabbed. Um, that lineup. But, I, I just oh, need that as a poster still, even though it was like a dead, <laughs> dead at the time. Like that poster, just like looking at it, it's like, wow, this is. It was absurd. It was um, just like something out of my dreams. All I can say is maybe if you cross your fingers and, you know, eat your vitamins and Wheaties and pray, maybe some good news will be coming soon. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. All right. <laughs> it's nice yeah. to you, Tobias. Um, like I say, I love everything that you guys do. It's such a pleasure having you on here. Um, my friends run this podcast, and they do such a great job, too. Big shout out to Comfort Mom. Um, yeah, appreciate it, dude. Yeah, I appreciate y'all having me and thinking of us. Ah, tripped over this part. Eddie, cut the very last <laughs> bit. Six.